Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Book Network's Disability Studies channel. I'm Bing Wan Tian, the host of this podcast. I'm delighted to invite Dr. Kala and Dr. Ling to join us and talk about their new book, Daoist Cultivation of Qi and Virtue for Life, Wisdom and Learning. So Dr. Kala and Dr. Ling, could you briefly, uh, briefly and respectively introduce yourself and your research to us, please? And why are you interested in Doist cultivation studies, especially what brought you to this field? Okay, so <clears throat> I'm actually trained as an engineer and worked in the business world for maybe 25 years or so. And uh, <clears throat> when I was laid off from my job, I went back to school, and did a PhD in philosophy of education. Uh, but even before that, many years before that, I was really interested in uh, in Chinese philosophy, of all philosophies, but Chinese Taoism, Buddhism, Confucianism. And I, 25 years ago, I started practicing Qigong. And because I'm an engineer trained as a scientist, I was really interested in how does this work? What is this? It's so different from Western philosophy and thinking. Um, so that's why I got into this. And when I was laid off from my big job, I said, oh, somebody, I went and started teaching and the school I was at said, you need a PhD. And I said, at my age, if I'm going to do a PhD, it's going to be in something I want to study. So it was about, uh, Taoism and Confucianism and Buddhism. And that's why I got into this field. And my research today is really about the application of these ideas in a classroom. So how do you actually bring this to life, not as a philosophy, but as a practice without using the language, like the Taoist religious terms and all that. So, so I've combined the concepts from neuroscience, psychology with the ancient wisdom tradition uh, to bring it into a, into a classroom. So that's what I'm doing, and, and that's my research. I research that. Uh, so that's my research and what I'm doing. Thank you, thank you. So what about you, Dr. Lin? Um, so I'm Jin, Jin Lin from University of Maryland. I'm in the program of, of international education policy. So I was trained uh, as a comparative education uh, scholar and teacher. And so I spent uh, some years uh, teaching courses on sociology of education, comparative education, genders, and so on. Until, like Tom said, uh, 25 years ago, I started to do meditation, qigong. And uh, so that comes mainly from the tradition of Taoism, but also Confucianism and Buddhism, but also incorporating other uh, spiritual practices. So a door open and all of a sudden I realized that all these philosophies taught 
by let's say Laozi, right, Zhuangzi, uh, the Confucius and others, right, they come from embodied experiences. You know, they come from this wisdom that emerged from dwelling deeply into our subconscious mind and unconscious mind, and then also building up this energy chi. And then you uh, expanded your awareness and you start to resonate with uh, other life forms, with people around you and so on. So that uh, embarked me on this uh, research in Taoism and other spiritual traditions and religions. So reflecting in my research, um, so for more than 20 years now, I've been, let's say, um, uh, trying to incorporate um, the teachings and and uh, methodologies and practices in this uh, Eastern, but also what spiritual traditions into my teaching and research. So, for example, in recent years, I've been doing a lot about, you know, how um, we need to incorporate contemplative practices into climate change education. So that we build this connection with nature, you know, that is very uh dear and uh, respectful, right? And also how we need to promote peace, right? And the peace should be both in terms of peace in the world as stop of in stopping of wars, but also inner peace, right? From inner wisdom that come from contemplative practices. So Tom and I have collaborated on a lot of books and articles, and I'm continuing to do this. And recent in recent years, I've, I've done a lot with my students. We really uh, explore, you know, um, in many educational uh, contexts or, uh, you know, or educational issues that how we can uh, incorporate this inner work. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, so, Dr. Kalam, uh, could you explain to us why Taoism cultivation and pursuit of inner life are relevant and critical today? Yeah, um, I should say that I'm currently working at Simon Fraser University and I teach business ethics and I integrate contemplative practices into business ethics. Uh, there's a long story behind that, but I can talk about that later if it's of interest. But, so inner work, this is a contrast to the current emphasis in Western society and education. Education today and for many years has been about uh, knowing the external world, knowing mathematics, knowing science, knowing literature, and very little about exploring yourself your inner self. And there's an imbalance in the world in the sense that there's, there's something we don't study ourselves because it's not worthy of being studied. Um, you know, Carl, Carl Jung said something like um, science has delegitimized humanity in the sense that uh, the only thing that matters is the average. But I'm a unique subjective individual that doesn't matter at all we don't we don't care so in some respects we as human beings have been alienated by our our current culture and you know when you really think about it where do we live our lives we live our lives internally in our own experience and by not focusing on that we've denied the value of the individual's uh, personal experience and, and as such, we've, we've alienated ourselves from ourselves through our educational process. So the idea of 
there's a book called the Neya, which means inner training. And it preceded the Tao Te Ching, it preceded the Huainan Zhe, many classical texts. But it basically says that the most important thing you can do as a leader is, uh, I'm sorry, this comes out of the Huainan Zhe, but it is to follow the instructions of, of inner work because that will make you a good leader. And inner work means understanding who you are, understanding your connection to the cosmos and other people. This is what's important. There are other things that are important, but it says this is the most important thing for leaders to have, is this ability to know themselves fully. So that's why I think it's important. There's a doctor, Dr. Mate, uh, he He's quite famous now. Uh, he was a, an addictions doctor in, in Vancouver. And he basically says that one of the problems we have in our society is alienation from ourselves. This is the cause of many of our diseases, many of the social alienations we have, many of the social problems we have. And so what I think is what's really important is not to drop our focus on learning about the external world, but to balance that with understanding who we are truly as individuals and actually facing both the light and the dark of ourselves. So knowing who we truly are and accepting it, who we truly are. And I I can talk about this later, but in that process, you, you, the acceptance is a compact becomes a compassion for yourself and a compassion for others. And it transforms your relationship to yourself and to other people. So that's why I think the concept, not just the concept, but the practice of inner work that, as Jing has said, involves emotions, mind, and body, all of it. So it's a holistic education, a holistic training that is vitally important today. That's that's yeah, why yeah, I think it is. Yeah. yeah, thanks for sharing. Yeah. It is very insightful that yeah we we humans uh, actually our life our body our souls our spirit are, are holistic so we cannot separate it one from another otherwise we will be alienated. Thanks for sharing, uh, Dr. Ling. Now I would like you to uh, give us a rough introduction to Taoist cultivation since this might be new to some listeners, especially those in Western background, how did this system work and what role do qi and virtue play within? Okay. Thank you for this question. It's a big question, right? Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, First of all, in the Chinese language, Tao has uh, many uh, meanings, many levels of of, uh, uh, understanding. First, Tao is this uh, creative force. You know, it's this force that uh, creates the whole universe and all lives, right? All existence in the universe. So uh, Taoism want to study this force, um, this force behind, you know, everything that we see, uh, like uh, visually, but also we feel, right, emotionally, and also also in our inner mind. But then Tao also is, um, you know, is this energy, right? That's what we call primordial energy in, in Chinese is called Hun Yuan Qi. That is in everything that gives everything spirit, you know, and also the ability to sense and cooperate with each other. So it's this uh, energy that 
you know, enable life to say things to grow, seasons to change, right? Um, and it can be, let's say, um, also interpreted as this yin and yang energy, you know, this electromagnetic force that constantly interact and put, produce this energy, right, behind all life forms and things. And then also Tao uh, has a, a another level of meaning, which is, um, uh, you know, like, a, um, how to say, um, uh, cultivating Tao, that is uh, to be to be like Tao, to be immortal, to be um, uh, um, to be like creative, right? Um, so Tao has another layer, which is uh, to for us to uh, emulate Tao, to create like Tao, and to live as long as like Tao. Tao never dies, you know. So we never die. So one important pursuit in um, Taoism is immortality. So we think nowadays it's impossible to have immortality, but Taoist uh, practitioners and masters have spent thousands of years exploring that, trying to understand ourselves as this uh, vessel of energy, but also spirit and essence and um, an incredible power. So we know that every cell can make a new human being, right? So we have incredible power in our body. And uh, so they explore... um, how we can build up this energy, how this energy circulate among people, and how you do hidden virtues, and then the energy return to you. And then Taoists, you know, they explore how you can refine this energy for it to be really powerful, you know, to have this uh, incredible power like miracles that Jesus and others can do, right, to heal people, but also to say, to really... um really change a lot of things in the world and be the peace to the world, you know, and, and help the world. So um, so in Taoism, you want to explore the mystery of life, but also the mystery of the cosmos, you know, the force behind everything. And then you want to emulate uh, Tao, right? So this emulation is very different, you know. It's like uh, you need to do virtues, right? So virtues, they're not just moral, you know, um, rhetorics in Taoism. It's connected with qi, you know. Virtue is like the um, the source of qi, right? It's the propeller of qi. It's like the uh, accumulating mechanism for qi. Virtue is like this mechanism that support the whole universe, you know. Without the support of, of, of our individual organs, right, for the body, right, we don't survive. And without a supportive mechanism, right, the solar system doesn't sustain. So um, Lao Zhu, in his uh, classic, right, Tao De Jin, right, he connects Tao with virtues. So Tao, this, you know, um, this uh, permeating, right, energy, um, this force behind everything can be understood and also manifest as virtues, but the virtues that he talks about are not like uh, what we understand, you know, like being very competitive, right? Very aggressive, arrogant, and so on. But they are very, let's say, uh, uh, very, how to say, other-serving. And so this includes, say, humility, uh, forgiveness, service, right? Love, uh, reconciliation, and so on. So to know Tao, you need to do meditation to practice qi. Uh, meditation can be in many forms, right? Tai Chi is a form of meditation as well. So it can involve movements in yoga and so on. But also you need to do good for the world, right? And then the energy will come to you and then you can cultivate this immortal child. That's the pursuit in, in, in Taoism. That is the, the child, this uh, energy, you know, that you can get and that will allow you to 
to break, you know, up the pattern of now we live, let's say, from birth to death, right? It's a process of, you know, um, uh, depleting energy, you know, and, and increasingly losing uh, harmony in our body and eventually, you know, it's corruption, you know, and death and so on. So they aim at returning you know, to the original state, like a child, you know, where we're soft, full of this um, powerful energy that we're born with, happy and so on. And also we find the energy and then you become this immortal self, immortal being, you know, that can survive in different dimensions and survive in either physical body or in chi, spirit state, and then uh, are immortal. So <laughs> it's a way... Uh, how should I say? Maybe it, it can confuse people more, but I hope that also uh, help clarifies a little bit. It's it's very complex, right? There are thousands of methods, and people have practiced for thousands of years and explore really this all these intricacies of how our body, you know, works in the larger environment, and uh, um and 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 resonate with the with with nature and the whole universe. Hi, uh, thanks. Thanks for your sharing. Thanks for your detailed interpretation, uh, Dr. Colin. Now, I would like to invite you to talk about the next question. Um, from a comparative perspective, what are the differences between the Enlightenment of Taoism and the Western Enlightenment? Okay, so I'm going to focus really on the scientific method in terms of the Western Enlightenment concept. The and what I'd like to say is the two actually share the concept of objective observation. Now, now this might sound pretty unusual for a Westerner, given what they've heard about Taoism uh, being a mystical uh, tradition. But they are fundamental to both traditions. And the Taoists even named their temples Guan, which means to observe, observe objectively. The difference is that the West, Western Enlightenment projects observes external phenomena and the Taoist uh, tradition examines internal phenomena. Doesn't deny, it puts an emphasis on the internal phenomena. Doesn't deny the presence of external phenomena. It accepts all of it. It accepts all phenomena. You know, it, one of the things is uh, even the mud is worthy. Even mud is worthy. So, so it doesn't deny that anything is everything is open to observation. So the difference in terms of how you are as a scientist is you focus on division. So the being of a scientist is to take everything down to its smallest part, and that will tell me how this exists. Its approach in terms of knowledge is abstraction and representation, meaning the only valid knowledge is the knowledge that I can write down or speak about or hear about. So that's an abstraction. It's not experience. And if I have a theory, it's even better. A, the a theory, you know, E equals MC squared is a theory. It's not an experience. It's a theory. So that's the basis of the knowledge of Western thinking. And its values tend to be utilitarian. Its assumption is that it, the values are utilitarian. So values are something to get something. And, and uh, they tend to be self-centered, meaning the person who, who, who develops the knowledge is the source of the knowledge. So there's, this, there's an orientation towards self-centeredness. 
in the Taoist way of being, it focuses on the whole picture, on oneness. So the whole idea behind the Tao is it encompasses everything. So that's the being aspect of it. And the knowledge is gained through lived experience, not through abstraction. And the, the Buddhists have a great, great line for this. They say, don't mistake the moon for the finger pointing at the moon. So the moon is the experience. The finger pointing at the moon is not the experience. It's an abstraction. It's the same thing as saying, you know what? If you go to a restaurant and you read the menu, you'll know everything about the restaurant. Well, you don't know anything until you've eaten the food, right? So Taoism says lived experience is fundamental. It's first and foremost. And its values are really oriented in the sense of in relationship of care. I'm in relationship with everything and therefore I care about everything. And it also sees values as a phenomena rather than as a social construction. So value, virtue and value, I'm using them in the same synonymously here. Um, Virtues are like sunlight. It's a physical phenomena. It exists without the presence of human beings. So that's a really important concept here. Because it emanates from the Tao, the Tao De, the Tao De Jing is the Tao translated into English as the Tao and its virtue. Well, the Tao is everything. And the virtue is the, the expression of the Tao in the world. So it's a physical, it's a, actually is a manifestation of oneness. And so that's what this, that means, that virtues exist as a phenomenon, like gravity, like sunlight. And just going back to the idea of cultivation, how you understand the Tao is to put yourself in alignment with the Tao by cultivating virtue, by being like the Tao. So that's, there's a very big difference between Western enlightenment concepts and, and Taoist concepts. The one commonality is this idea of observation. Um, yeah, I think that's that's my answer to the question. Thanks for answering this question. So as a Taoist practitioner with a background in engineering, can you explain how are Taoism, qi, and virtue related to epigenetics? And also, how are they related to the structure of the brain? You can okay. just uh, talk them sub respectively because it's a long question. <laughs> yeah, if you could, uh, like if I miss something, can you remind me just as I'm going through this? Because it's fairly it's a very big question. So first of all, I want to qualify myself as an engineer. I'm trained as a civil engineer. I did a master's degree in transportation engineering. So this doesn't train me to know anything about biology, the brain or epigenetics, none of that. So I just want to make sure you know that. I, I've learned these things and I'm not an expert, uh, but I've learned these things because I, as an engineer, I'm interested in understanding how the w- world works, how human beings function in relationship to my practice, Qigong practice. I wanted to know why is why does this work? What is happening? And so I've tried to build a bridge between uh, Taoism and Western science. 
So that's, I, I think it's really important to qualify everything I say that I'm not an expert in this. So epigenetics is, so what is epigenetics? For many, many years, Western medicine assumed that DNA was fixed. It is fixed and that it determined everything about who we are. And that's been recently found to be incorrect. DNA is basically like a library. So your, your genome is like a library. And it only is activated when information calls it out to be activated. It will produce proteins. So it will produce, you know, your DNA typically there's, I don't forgot the number. I think there's 20,000 proteins in your body. Hormones are an example. Muscles are an example, all these sorts of things. And an example of epigenetics is if I go to the gym and I lift weights, that's information that goes into my muscle cells and says, you need to learn, that's information. So the DNA that builds muscles is called out to build more muscles. That's an example of epigenetics. Another example of epigenetics is um, they did an experiment and they put rats into two kinds of environment. Uh, rat mothers. Uh, they put the rat mothers in an environment that was loving. So there was lots of food. The animals didn't have to compete. They could care for one another. And then they put rats in an environment where there was inadequate food. So, and then obviously they had to fight and to, to survive. The rat pups that were born in the loving environment were born with small, uh, uh, muscular, uh, skeletal muscular systems, but larger frontal brain lobes. So they, they, they were, they were born to care. The ones that were born into the environment, uh, that was, that was basically competitive were born with large muscles and, and skeletal system and a small frontal lobe. So they were, so the environment that they were pre presented called forth the genes the expression of genes that that helped them survive in the environment that they were they were born into. So that's an example of epigenetics. And the, so the fundamental important thing that's different from our earlier understanding of genetics is that information, the information that's going into the body is very important. And this is so that's that's an interesting part of that. Um, um, so how does this relate to chi and virtue? Well, chi is information, energy, information, and, and matter. And actually, DNA is energy, information, and matter. If you ever actually look at the, sh the actual shape of the DNA determines the information. And the molecular structure of DNA determines its shape. So shape the, the shape of the matter is information. The shape of the matter in your DNA is determined by the molecular structure, the energetic structure of the electrons and protons in, in the, in, that make up the DNA. So the, the two are actually synonymous. So if you are cultivating virtue, what that calls forth is a different set of genes and DNA than, than if you're if you're doing something else. And th there's a great example of this. Some research was done 
I think reported in 2014 by Cole, um, where they um, took two groups of people. One group were in, engaged in uh, pleasurable things like buying things. They got their happiness through what they call hedonic practices, you know, fun experiences, going to the restaurant, skiing, those sorts of things. That was one group. That's how they were happy. Another group got their happiness, achieved their happiness through eudonic methods. Eudonic is a, a Greek word meaning um, flourishing, meaning contributing back. So they obtained their happiness by contributing back to society, by doing things for other people, by caring for others. They took the blood of these people and they found that even though they had equal happiness, the people who... Um, were, got their happiness through hedonic methods, actually had a, a low profile, a, a poor inflammatory profile. They were more susceptible to diseases. They had more inflammation. Their, their blood markers showed all these sorts of things. Whereas the people who got their happiness from hedonic means, I'm sorry, eudonic means, so they were contributing to others, their blood markers showed uh, resistance to disease, uh, less inflammation, all kinds of things that suggested that they would be live longer and be more healthy. So I thought that this is a like a really interesting experiment that indicates the body knows something. That even they were they were equally happy. They both reported equal happiness, but the body says no, no, no. <laughs> this is not as good. So practicing virtue helps you live longer. That, that's what I, of course, somebody's going to say, wait a minute. But it seems to align with these ideas from, from Taoism that um, practicing virtue, as, as Jing has just said, uh, is good for you. It helps you live a longer life. And, and it's about the information that's going into your body to cause certain genes to be expressed. So that's the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So you uh, you answered both how it related to epigenetics, all and also how to relate it to structure brain, right? And uh, I forgot the brain part. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Go ahead, yeah. please. Okay. So the left and right brain. This work. This is comes out of um, Ian McGilchrist's work, who wrote a book called uh, "The The uh, Master and, and His Emissary." And he basically says that we have not we have two brain functions. They're associated with the left and right brain. In the left brain, we're quite familiar with this, and these these are this is consciousness, not function. So he says, if you shut down one of the brains, the other one will become more dominant, and the behavior of the individual will change according to which consciousness is present. And they will deny that anything has happened. They don't even know that this. So what, what's going on is that we actually have two consciousness, and it's an evolutionary um, in, you know, invention. It's an evolutionary outcome. The left brain was designed to uh, to help us hunt. So it helps us fo- identify objects, categorize things, and get things. The right brain was designed to help us relate to other people. 
It's rather than focusing on single things, it looks at the big picture. How I relate to other people is very important. It sees the big picture and it has this ability to express, uh, to, to express values and virtues that go beyond just something's good for its use. So love comes out of it. Compassion comes out of it. Concern for justice comes out of the right brain consciousness. And Ian McGilchrist basically said he's very concerned that our society is way overemphasizing left brain consciousness. It is important. It's delivered lots of benefits to us. And but what we need to do is learn how to bring forth right brain consciousness. And his argument is he proposes that learning contemplative practices out of that are developed in Asia would help us do that. So that's the relationship. That's that's where this comes into into play. I was going to say something else, but I've forgotten what it is. But um, yeah, so essentially, there's actually quite a parallel between the ontology, epistemology, and the axiology of the right brain and Taoist thinking. So if, if you want to cultivate virtue, if you want to cultivate better relationships, then practicing Taoism will help you do that because it will bring forth the consciousness of the right brain up. What I meant to say was the other thing that McGilchrist said is because the left brain is self-referential and self-centered, it denies the value of the right consciousness and it suppresses it. So when, and many people talk about how difficult it is to meditate. And one of the reasons for that is the left brain doesn't want you to know what's available in the right consciousness. That's my belief. I haven't heard anybody say that, but I think that's what it is. And so it requires work to overcome that. I know I have all the answers. Shut up. (laughs) That's what comes out of the left brain. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. It sounds very interesting. Thanks for your insights. Um, So Dr. Ling, could you explain to us more what is deep-rooted cosmology, axiology, and philosophy in Taoism, please? As a scholar and Taoist practitioner living in the United States with a background in Asian culture, what do you think is the most challenging part? Well, it's uh, it's very hard to explain, right? <laughs> uh, in details, uh, the Taoist cosmology, theology, epistemology. Also, I think I want to add, um, and uh, so I'll just be very uh, maybe brief. Sometimes maybe also very abstract, right? <laughs> so in Taoism, you know, um, the belief is that the universe is created out of a void. So this void is not like um, nothingness. It's like an energy field, you know, that contains all these uh, um, maybe thoughts or ideas or uh, templates already. And then from this void comes uh, one. So it's called, so the void is called wuji. And then the, the one is called taiji. It's like this mind, this spirit, this um, energy. And then from the, the this one, then uh, it becomes two. Two, you can say yin and yang. Right, then the then the energy start to move, you know, and start to, uh, you know, propel against each other, but also create this energy that forms into, um, uh, you know, like a um, 
than myriads of things, right? Um, so um, in the in the Taoist Taoist cosmology, right? There, there are two realms. You know, first realm is the invisible realm. You know that you don't see. For example, you don't see where the Tao is, right? But it's everywhere. When you get a pond of water, when there's you know a uh, right temperature, right? Um, you know, tap tapples, right? Start to grow there, and then they turn into frogs. If the water becomes larger, then you know, um, bigger, right? Then you get to big, you get bigger fish. So where where do they come from, right? Just just look at you know the right. Let's say the the grass, the land, right? The, you nobody seems to be sowing seeds, right? But they grow everywhere. So that's the Tao energy behind everything. It's invisible, right? So there's an invisible realm, but also there's an unnameable realm, you know? So a lot of things that we cannot tell, we cannot say, this is this, this that is that, right? But they are really, um, you know, what our re- reality is about mostly. So then, so there's the invisible and the visible realm. There's the nameable and the unnameable realm, right? So in Taoism, there's a belief there's this... Um, primordial feminine gate of creation and that's where all the wonders come come from so the idea is that um you know there's this chi this primordial chi right and then this chi okay um gather force right and then get condensed into certain shapes and then they condense it into shapes and they form things so behind everything we see there's a form a template there's also the chi, the energy and the spirit and the creative force behind it. We usually see a thing, but we don't see the spirit behind it, like this bottle of water, right? Like the tree in front of me. We don't we don't see the form, the shape, the template behind it. We don't see the spirit, but it's there, you know? So everything has this visible and invisible, um, right, dimensions. So um, in Taoist etymology, um, you know, what we usually uh, believe to be good may not be, you know, good for us, right? For example, in Lao Tzu's Tao Te Ching, he says that um, if you um, eat too much, you, know, you lose taste, let's say. If you hear too much, then, you know, you, 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 your ears become deaf and you don't hear anything anymore. And let's say if your heart is racing fast and tracing, you know, a lot, right, then, you, you know, you lose uh, you lose the uh, control of yourself. And he said, if you have a household of, of a gold, right, you cannot travel far because you worry about, right, those uh, things that you possess, right? So in Taoist so in theology, uh, you know, that we, we should not be attached to external things, right? Rather, we want to, um, let's say, um, uh, do good for the world, uh, you know, and uh, emulate Tao and practice hidden virtues, so Taoist practitioners oftentimes they try to do good. Let's say they help somebody, but they never, never, they never, you know, claim it. Not like like nowadays, you know, we write everything on our CV, right, and claim every bit of achievement we have made, right. So um, and so they they also accept, you know, dialectics, right, contradictions. So in darkness, right, uh, there's the there's the word. Let's say when you see darkness, you want to also um. Uh, how should I say? I should say in a different way. I say, behind bad, they could be good. Behind good, they could be bad. Let's say if somebody gets sick, right? Maybe it's a good thing, you know, um, that the person now need to slow down, need to come back to him or herself, right? And do inner reflection and balance his or her life. 
So it can be turned into a good thing, right? But let's say if somebody has a lot of money, then this person maybe cannot date anyone anymore because they worry that these other people may just want to covet their money, right? So see, see the bad and good are relative, right? So this this point of view. Um, and uh, so how do you know doubt, right? Um, so first you need to, let's say, really explore set high aspirations, right? You want to know the mystery of the secret of the universe. You want to understand yourself, right? You want to have good health, longevity, even let's say explore immortality. So you want to, you know, uh, start to refine your energy, right? You want to do meditation. Meditation is very important. Just now Tom was talking about the right brain and uh, right brain and left brain, right? Meditation can be called a quantum force, you know, a quantum mechanism to breach, you know, the physical matter particle world with the wavelength energy world. You know, it would turn things into a wavelength, uh, how to say, I would say a quantum energy uh, state of being. So meditation will allow us to be in touch with the the chi in our body, the essence in our body, the spirit in our body, and in everything else. Um, so you want to do meditation and then you want to, uh, accumulate and cultivate virtues. Uh, Lao Zhi has uh, this Tai Shang Gan Yin Pian. It's like the, uh, what is that, the ultimate God's uh, uh, sutra on resonance uh, and response. You know, he talks about how we, uh, if we accumulate, let's say, uh, 300 good deeds, right? Or if we do three good deeds, uh, do, do good deeds in three years, good things will, you know, will fall on us, right? We're going to have good health and opportunities will come. But if people do bad things, let's say continuously three years in, in a row, disasters will, you know, uh, will fall over their, their head. So there's this mechanism in the universe that we want to follow um, and uh, we want to uh, uh, emulate, right? So in Taoism, it's very important that we, uh, we are humble, uh, because uh, water flows uh, to the lowly place and we want to do good uh, to others because, you know, like water nurture, right, other life forms, but then they can accumulate and become an ocean, you know, and become really powerful. And you want to be loving and kind because we are all interconnected, right? But also Taoism emphasizes a lot, you know, uh, piety because, uh, you know, everything's energy. So our ancestors, right, who have lived before us, they are energies. They are still existing as energies and so on. So piety, respect for other people, respect for elders, respect for all things will allow us to tap into those energy, you know, that has been stored there. Like uh, Tom said, you know, in our DNA, you know, there's a lot of energy that's not tapped into and not explored and not understood. Um, and it's important to find teachers in Taoism. Uh, it's hard to find the weight, you know, without a an enlightened teacher, because this cultivation is very uh, complex. It's a long journey. There are a lot of testings, you know, a lot of trials and, and so on. So you want to understand this complex process. That's why. But most importantly, you know, a lot of the teaching are what we call heart-to-heart transmission. It's like the direct imparting of the teacher's energy to the, uh, to the students. And a lot of teachings are in the subconscious mind. So there are all these dimensions, right, in in in, in Taoism. Uh, that's very interesting. So what's the challenge of, you know, <laughs> of uh, living uh, as a Taoist practitioner, right, in the United States? 
uh, with the background of Taoist of culture, uh, with a background in Asian culture and so on. I think um, I wouldn't call them challenges, but it's like a um, experience. Let's say, right? For example, um, uh, in Taoism, right, we really recognize the qi, right? But it's not nameable. You cannot say this is qi. I show you, but in Western culture here, right, <laughs> people really want to see where is it. <laughs> Can you verify it, right? And uh, also, qi a lot is connected to our emotions, right, to our virtual states, right. But you cannot verify that, and and you know, and show people that. Uh, you can feel it, you can experience it, but when it comes to telling the experience, right, and that's very difficult, right. And so. Um, and also we live in a capitalist right economic culture right so a lot of the Taoist values like say uh reconciliation uh non-arrogance no self right um and uh, non-competition these are very uh different right uh you know in the current uh, uh culture so um so I think one has to constantly, you know, know where you are and balance, you know, and, and constantly, um, let's say, adjust, right? Because uh, you, you need to uh, also to use your mind, your left brain, right, to function in the world. So, but then don't forget to go back to your inner self, right, to activate your right mind. And then when you, um, uh, you're trying to be very objective and mind-based and so on, also come back to your body, right, and, 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 be aware of your emotions and so on. So Taoism is very, very practical. You know, it can, it can really helps us uh, to deal with many problems in our world. It can actually provide the most fundamental solution, I think, to the world that we live in. You know, that is that the universe doesn't really operate on a competitive, individualistic, you know, uh, independent uh, framework or mechanism. It's really interdependent, you know, um, mutual, uh, collaborative, and reconciliatory. So I think until we really shift into that kind of uh, new framework, we really have a difficulty. Uh, we have great difficulty to, you know, to get out of the current problems we are in. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for sharing this. I especially like your point that all the world, we, we, when we see it, we can see in them, we can see virtue. And that is how Tao show, re, uh, reveal it through this world. Thanks for your vivid sharing and interpretation. So Dr. Kalam, uh, what do you think is a shared vision and blueprint of Taoism, Buddhism, Confucianism, and other world major religions? Okay, so I, I'm going to talk a little bit, refocus on cultivation, but the principal um, vision of Taoism, Buddhism, and Confucianism is this idea, it's not just an idea, but the, the experience of oneness. This is the aim of these, these, these ideas. I mean, Taoism calls it Tao, Buddhism calls it Buddha mind. But Buddha mind encompasses everything. It's everything. It's just like Tao. And Confucianism uses the language uh, of Tao. You can even find, as I was telling you earlier, you can even find this in mystical Christian Christianity, the concept that we are pursuing oneness with God, God that exists within us. So this is another really important idea that... Um, 
God is imminent or Tao is imminent within us, as opposed to be as opposed to the Christian traditional Christian idea of transcendent. In order to, I have to transcend my body to and to have knowledge of of God. I think that I. I I grew up with Christianity. God was always out there, somewhere else, separate from me, not me. But in these traditions, the idea is that it's imminent within you and that the purpose of cultivation is to help you discover that. That's the purpose. And the other common concept is that this is achieved through tranquility. And obviously, when you meditate, you're tranquil. But also your pra- everyday life can contribute to this tranquility. So your practices of virtue will help you be more tranquil. If you're, if you're virtuous as opposed to competitive, you will be more tranquil. So, so the, the fundamental concepts I think that are really important are oneness, the imminence of oneness within every person, the concept of, of tranquility as an, as an ability to access that, and the concept of, of virtue as your practice, a daily practice of virtue as contributing to the tranquility that enables you to, to discover the oneness that's within you. That would thanks. be my, my ideas. Thanks, thanks. So Dr. Ling, uh, could you also share your opinion to all this question? Sure. Um, you know, um, I teach a course on world religions and education at uh, my university, um, in my university. And uh, so I spent many, many years uh, trying to understand, right, these world religions, their practices and um, uh, their missions, right, and uh, important uh, teachings. Um, I, I could not say that I understand them very well because it's a very big project, right? But I find that there's, um, there's a commonality among these religions. That is that all the so-called uh, spiritual teachers or prophets, right, um, of these major re- uh, religions, they all spend prolonged period of time in meditation. They, you know, they achieve their insights from meditation. That means they really achieve what uh, Tom was talking about, the tranquility that, you know, we calm down the mind, calm down the body, right? And then allow them to open up and start to share and uh, to feel, you know, the forces behind everything, uh, the force behind everything. So meditation is uh, common among all these uh, uh, religion and spiritual traditions. And the... Um, Breathing techniques, right, are practiced in uh, all religions and also rituals, right, um, and um, uh, movements uh, and so on. So they all uh, try to understand this life force behind everything, which uh, can be called God or Allah, you know, and, and so on. Um, so once they achieve a very deep level of, say, tranquility and they're able to concentrate and, and drop deeper and deep into deeper into different realms and reality, they come to this, um, uh, what Tom calls uh, in his book uh, in 2013, this collective unconsciousness, you know, uh, or this Tao consciousness, that is where all one, just Tom talks, talks about, right? And then from there, they sense this love, you know, in everything. And then they, they so they come out and start to teach people, hey, to treat it that each other well, to love each other, you know, to do good and so on. So this kind of knowing or insights that they, they come from, an, an, they, 
they show like a they show up as an emergence from within, rather than somebody imposing the teaching on them. So, um, so now they are uh, like say uh, spiritual religion uh, traditions or religions, right? They are trying to also rediscover and re and revive that aspect, you know, of cultivation like in Christianity right now. Uh, it's it's becoming more and more popular that. People do labyrinth walk, right? They do meditation, breathing practices, and so on, um, to try to embody the teaching um, in 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 their religion, and also, for example, in Islam, right? All this uh, daily prayer, right? They are kind of meditation practice, you know. They correspond to the energy in the environment, right? And also the kneeling down, all the postures and so on, uh, help activate the energy in the body. So um, meditation is the common, you know, this is the common practice behind all religions, and finding this chi, finding this uh, uh, spirit, this higher self, you know, this higher being that we all are, you know, that's behind, you know, all these uh, uh, religions. Okay. Thanks for your sharing. It's very beautiful. Uh, for my um, for my last question, so what meaningful insights can be brought out into contemporary education through the Taoist tradition? Uh, could you two please uh, share about this? What about you first, Dr. Lin? Uh, yes. Thank you. Uh-huh. I, I think maybe we can reiterate one 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 thing, right? One thing that we have talked about that is that we really need to prioritize our um, understanding ourselves, right? We spend so much time in education that kids got locked up for eight hours a day, right? Just to read text external to them. We give them very little time to understand themselves, right? To understand ourselves, our body, mind, heart, and spirit, and our life energy, and our relationship to, let's say, to the people around us, to the natural environment, right? To the stars, to the whole universe. We really need to then prioritize, you know, let's say, uh, an integrated, a holistic type of education that incorporates all forms of learning, like uh, emotional uh, intellectual, spiritual, moral, ethical, uh, energy uh, type of learning. Um, so I, in the book, I talk about that. Uh, we talk about how we need to prioritize, you know, uh, qi knowing. Uh, you know, Zhuang just talks about uh, some, uh, you know, you you hear, you learn, you um you you see, you learn. But the highest form of learning is qi, you know, it's like really to sense the whole being in front of you, let's say, to sense nature or a flower in front of you that, you know, so this learning that you that you get is whole, it's complete, it's uh, holistic. Um, and also virtual, knowing by virtual, you know, virtual needs to be really taken as uh, technologies or skills, right, driving skill like that, you know, in order to know, let's say, how we can solve a lot of problems in our life, right? And the problems in our world, right? There's the virtues that we, we just outline and talk about. You know, in Taoist tradition, these are like um, energy uh, guiding uh, principles. These are uh, mechanisms, you know, that sustain the universe and our life, right? If, say, one of the organs in our body wants to say, hey, I want to be the I want to be the, the number one, I want to be the, you know, the greatest and so on, and they refuse to cooperate with others, then we... We don't survive, right? So there are these uh, <clears throat> new understanding that we need to cultivate. I think in education, uh, f- for for you know for for really uh, 
having a new future. Yeah, thanks for sharing. So, Dr. Kala, what meaningful insights can be brought out into education? So, I, I agree with everything that Jing has just said. Uh, what I'd like to emphasize is this, I, this concept of shifting the emphasis from abstraction, theory, uh, writing, talking about, to, to lived experience. And what, what I've discovered is, you know, I, I, I do ask my business students to practice meditation in class. And no matter how much I talk about it, it doesn't add up to much until they practice it. And so, so there's really the practice itself. There's an aha moment. Oh, I got this. The second and really important thing is that they actually experience virtues. So if I teach somebody, if I tell you, you should do this, you should be this way, there's a resistance to it. But if they experience it, and meditation is an actual exercise of experiencing virtue, the virtue of being present to everything that you are, that's a virtue. It's not judgmental. It's not saying this is good or bad. It's just what is. And, and this is kind of the idea behind Taoism is actually putting together the opposites and seeing that they exist and that the together they make up the whole. So anger, hate, and love, they appear to be opposites, but one doesn't exist without the other to some extent. And having the experience of being present with my sadness and my happiness, my anger and my love, this, this, these are experiences that people can have. And it, you create the conditions that enable this. And then there's an aha moment. And there's a, a shift in their own. This is, this, is, this is dealing with the alienation of the individual from themselves. When you solve this alienation through experience of myself, then there's a huge shift. And I, I think this is really fundamental and it's practical. We can do it. You don't have to talk about mystical stuff. You don't have to talk about the Tao and all that. You can bring it down to real uh, experiential, practical things that can be done in a classroom. And I, I think this is in a very, very important part of, of what comes out of this. And I, I, yeah. So and I agree with a lot of what uh, Jing has said. It's just so important to shift the emphasis and balance what we're learning in school to include not not excluding science, not excluding external knowledge, but to include knowledge of the self and experiential knowledge. I think it's a vital. Yeah, thank you very much for sharing this. We don't get it until we experience it and uh, get the oneness of the whole world and uh, our self and our body, our mental, and to get a oneness. Oh, all right. Thank you so much for this whole session. I enjoyed it so much. I learned it so much, and I think our audience will do so. Thank you very much. So uh, this is time to say goodbye. Um, thank you. And uh, bye-bye. Right, thank you. Bye-bye.